welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through our experiences of M&A projects where we've been involved and we unpack the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose is simply to leave you with valuable lessons that you can use in your M&A projects. So let's not waste any more time and get this podcast underway. Toby, greetings from Melbourne. Yeah, Rob, but greetings from uh, Sydney. How are you going there? We're doing well. It's, I think it's been some pretty rough weather in uh, Sydney just recently, hasn't it? Oh, well, to be honest, it's been pissing down with rain about a month ago, but then we had typically enough, basically nearly a month of sort of pure sunshine. But it's actually been raining today, so but nothing much. I think it'll clear up again. The advantage that Melbourne's got is you can watch the weather pattern like a PowerPoint presentation. It, every 15 minutes, it changes. <laughs> There's a four season one day, as they say. Yeah. yeah. Now, we've just had a preamble before today's yeah. podcast, and you mm. got some news items that you're yeah. going to talk about that are yeah. particularly interesting because we touched on this topic before in other podcasts about the fact that companies would start to look at their portfolios and consider mm. what to keep, what to divest. So you've got some news to share on that. Yeah. I'm going to throw a couple of wobblers into the conversation. I want to talk about Murphy's Law, and I'll expand on that. And then, of course, I've got Les Heyman quotes Les that Heyman we can finish quotes. up on. Excellent. So Excellent. why don't you kick us off with your news? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I actually, uh, Rob, I don't know if you remember, but I made a bit of a prediction about a year ago. And it was at the time when, if you cast your mind back, it was, you know, lockdown, the pandemic. It was all alarm stations, like we've got a, a massive global pandemic. And I predicted that M&A would be significantly subdued, which is no surprise. I think everybody was predicting that. But I went one step further and said that I think the divestitures, there will be a lot of stressed M&A sale. Uh, sales going on that's and right that, and it didn't happen it didn't occur and i think largely due to i think a lot of the stimulus that was put into the economy here in australia and of course in the united states and the uk i'm going to interrupt you because I, I don't think it, you could say it didn't happen i think it was just a delayed reaction well this is it but of course now Interesting enough, and I think this particular news item indicates a certain uh, perspective now. So the news item, I was just looking at Westpac, and Westpac oh, yeah. actually announced their chief executive officer that they're looking to make some significant annual savings in their business by a cool 21% overall. And that is a massive, massive reduction in cost. Obviously, they're looking to generate savings, something in the region of about $14 billion back to shareholders once it's taxed and capitalized. And I thought, wow, that is massive. How are they going to do this? Now, typically when you see this, you you, you think of redundancies, you know, or, or cost. Yeah, well, that was where, straight where I went to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, no, it's actually going to be through M&A. And what they're going to do is they're going to look at uh, potentially up to seven unwanted businesses. And this is in general insurance, in wealth management and auto finance, and they're looking to divest. Right. And so, obviously, what they're going to do from this is return cash back to the business and obviously return money back to the shareholders, but at the same time, cut costs significantly through this exercise. And there's going to be some closing of branches. That's certainly going to happen. And there might be a bit of shrinking the head office, but predominantly, it's through divestitures. And I think when I look at this, 
I think this is going to be happening elsewhere, whether it's in the other major organizations, whether it's in Telstra, News Corp, Link, Tab Corp. A lot of these companies may be looking at their portfolios and similarly saying, well, look, how can we divest of assets that are no longer strategic? How do we make sure we are, with this new normal that we have post-pandemic, make sure that strategically we're aligned with that? And returning more money back to shareholders and obviously having more cash in hand as well. So making sure they're more cashed up. This is also a return to the core focus, isn't it? This is almost like going, hang on a minute, what is our core business all about and where do we concentrate our effort? Absolutely. And I think that you know the pandemic has been, I think, very much a catalyst for that. But really asking themselves, like, what are the changes in customer behavior? We know it's going more digital. And if anything, it's accelerated it, yeah. uh, the pandemic. We need to be more resilient in our strategy and operations, and that's one thing that support us, particularly around our supply chains. So that's that's something. And I think assets that are potentially draining the balance sheet or simply yeah. no longer strategic. So I just thought that was interesting that Westpac made this big announcement. They they can't acquire anymore. They want to be able to generate returns to shareholders, and they're doing it through their vestiges. And I would say this is going to happen for a lot of organizations. And I'm just thinking, I mean, I don't know that industry too well, I admit. Yeah. But you take an organization like Westpac, yeah. this is a global divestiture. And we're not just talking about Australian businesses. This is going to be visible on the global stage. And I can immediately think that if some of their divestments are in areas like motor vehicle insurance and some of the insurance mm, yeah. sectors, there's going to be some specialists in that area that will be more than happy to try and pick up some West Oh, Bank. indeed. Yeah, indeed. And also, there may be their asset finance business. I don't, they didn't actually announce that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the areas that they were looking to divest as well. That'd be interesting to see how that develops, because that mm. certainly is going to be on the world stage. Yeah. So uh, that, that was my news, really, Rob. I thought it was just oh, interesting, and um, I think it's just indicative that there's going to be a lot more heated activity in M&A generally, and um, watch so. the space when it comes to divestitures. Yeah, and I think, uh, that, uh, going back to your prediction from last year, which I remember well, hmm. you said that that is going to be across the board. So whilst we look at Westpac, and it's a very large organization, that Focusing on the core activity is going to happen across all levels of industry. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not just purely to finance, like gaming, telecommunications, several industries. The same principles apply. You know, it comes down to operating models. How do they need to be revamped to meet the new normal? Making sure you're more adaptable, more resilient in your strategy and operations. What can we learn from this past pandemic? What are those learnings we're going to take and how apply to our business? So on and so forth. Yeah, well, that's a good segue, actually, because I've just been talking to uh, a company this past few weeks where that's exactly the conversation that's been taking place. Driven by the CEO and the board, it's been a conversation of how do we focus on our core business, but how do we use that to grow significantly in the current climate? Uh, And I wanted to use that partly as an intro into what I call Murphy's Law. Right. Right. And and Murphy's Law says if it's going to go wrong, it will go wrong, and it will go wrong at the most unfortunate moment. This was a a good example. So this company had sat down 
It was initiated by the CEO who basically said, let's put our whole strategy under the microscope. Let's look at what we're doing. Mm. And they went through a, a, a well-managed exercise. Mm. They identified a very attractive acquisition. Early conversations were positive mm. on both sides to the point that the company then decided that it was going to start getting itself ready. So they started looking at, okay, we're going to do this. What resources do we need? How are we going to actually put that? And there was some significant effort went into getting ready for what everybody was thinking was going to be a slam dunk and this was going to go through. It was going to be a, quite a, a big announcement when it was um, unveiled. At the last minute, one particular issue, and I can't mention what it is, Mm. but one particular issue, which people would have seemed insignificant, put spoilers on the whole thing. So one particular issue, put a spoiler. I mean, are you able to give a sort of a hint as to what that was? No, but but in this case, you had... People on both sides, boards on both sides, looking positively at this, mm. wanting it to go ahead. Mm. Right? Both sides sort of going, great, well, let's get ready. Let's go and get the cash out of the bank. Let's go yep. and find the resources, get, get ourselves sure. ready. This is all going to kick off in the next few weeks. And then one particular topic fell into the ointment, if you like, the fly in the ointment, and literally overnight, the whole thing collapsed. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, by the sounds of it, I could just rephrase it differently insofar as that. A lot gets done to build trust. And yes. trust gets built. And it get, it, trust is something you earn, actually. It's something you earn. But the thing is, is that anything that perhaps can detract from that trust, if it, and it could be something of the silliest thing sometimes. Perhaps somebody actually lied about, or there was someone who was caught out in a lie, or something a process was skipped or maybe there's some regulatory issue. It could be a small one, but nonetheless, you can take a little thing and it can suddenly say, ah, oh, maybe the trust isn't there after all. Well, and then there's a certain nervousness. Well, without you actually knowing it, you've given me a perfect segue into my <laughs> next example. Oh, okay. Because one of the things I say is that if, if you're a professional in this industry, you, mm. In other words, you're an old bugger like you and me, and you've been through <laughs> this dozens of times. Young bugger. Interestingly, you go into projects. Expecting things right? to go wrong. Yeah. You, you, well, you, indeed. You, indeed. You're sort of attuned to it. Well, you're, you're, I think the way to say it, Rob, is that you and I, when we do things, we our job is to worry. Worry yeah. about what could go wrong. When it comes to Murphy's Law, Murphy's Law is alive and well. Anything can go wrong. You will go wrong. And what you do is you worry about those sort of things yep. so that they don't happen. Or if they do, you can clear up quickly. And, and that's probably where I come into the sixth bed. All right. And, and the comparison I'll use is that I remember a project that I got involved in. And again, I, I won't mention its name, but there was one of the classic big four were in there. Mm. And they had a whole team of people. And they had this playbook, right? And it mm. was it was written out to the nth degree. And they were following this playbook by step, by step, by step, mm. even to the point of presenting this as being their value add, that they mm. were so well organized and so yeah. structured, right? And of course, mm. personalities got in the way mm. and a few things went wrong. Nobody knew how to deal with it. 
because mm. it wasn't in the playbook. In that particular case, and it wasn't me, but in that particular case, a couple of far more experienced people saw this issue going wrong, knew exactly what to do, stepped mm. in, dealt with it, stopped it. And there's two ways to deal with Murphy's Law. One is to have the experience to deal with it when it happens. So when that big pile of smelly stuff hits the fan, right, you've at least got experience that kicks in and goes, okay, right, I know what to do here. Mm. And you you go into overdrive and you, you get those things fixed. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is sixth sense. It's that capability, you, you can't uh, discuss it in an academic forum, you can't build it into a playbook. The only way this sixth sense gets developed is from hard experience. And I'm going to give you a silly example of it. But um, if you like, my catchphrase in all of this is always have that sixth sense well attuned, right? And I'm going to give two examples. Some of it can be part of your normal skill set, and some of it can be intuitive. Yep. Right. Now, here's the skill set. I, at one time, was involved in a manufacturing plant. Mm. I was on the shop floor, and to all intents and purposes, everything was running beautifully. Mm. Right? Equipment was running, people were working, the, the whole place was humming. The uninitiated would walk in there and say, boy, this is a well-run plant. I walked in, and within five minutes, I was saying, what strategies have we got in place for the work-in-progress issue? What I was able to do through experience was see this company was actually carrying about 30% too much work-in-progress. The only way that I could do that was because I was given the technique and the skill, a very quick test. This isn't by any means uh, an accurate test, but it's a good enough test. So imagine you walk into a, you're making motor cars, and there's a production line running there, and it seems to be running well, right? Mm. And there's 50 motor cars on the production line. And then you turn around and look to your left, and there's 150 engines. Well, you would sort of go, well, hang on a minute. If there's only 50 cars on the line, why have we got 150 engines? And there might be a good reason for that. If then turn to your right, and there's 150 gearboxes, then you start to think, well, something's quite not quite in line here. And that was the situation with this plant. I went in, I could see that there was far more componentry lying around on the shop floor and in racks and storage bins than was probably necessary for the volume of production that was going through. A few quick, simple arithmetic sums, Mm. and I'd confirmed that there was 30% too much work in progress. The uninitiated would walk through that shop floor, come out the other side with an impression that it's a well-run organisation. The experienced practitioner sees those things that aren't immediately broadcast, put it in a playbook, but they're there all the same and you need Mm. to be able to pick up on them. That was my first example. Second example is more intuitive. And this was really amusing. It's one of my first acquisitions. And it was a company down in Dartford in southeast London. And this company was a smallish manufacturing company. And I was there doing some due diligence. And everything was going fine. And 
I was walking through the plant and doing what I was supposed to do, and I was suddenly alerted to this door at the end of the plant that I wasn't aware of and didn't seem to go anywhere. Right. And I'm like, hmm, that was odd. What's that door there for? And then I, I sort of realized that, hang on a minute, when I came in this morning, the building outside looked a lot longer than what I'm now standing inside of. Right? Mm-hmm. So the question I asked was, well, what's the door there for? Yeah. Oh, they said, that's for Harrison's next door. And I said, oh, right, okay, so is that a separate company? Well, yeah, yeah, they're completely separate, nothing to do with us, but they're using our space, floor space. Hang on a minute. You know, we're making an acquisition of you, and that includes all of these buildings and facilities. And you now telling me that there's another company that we don't know about that's actually taking floor space, right? But then it got better. They said, oh, well, yeah, but that's okay. The reason why the door's there is because sometimes, because we only work till 6 o'clock at night, and they run a night shift, and sometimes they come through and they borrow our materials to help them with their production <laughs> was the answer that came back before I asked the question was, Oh, but that's okay because they leave a note when they do that. I've got, I've got alarm bells ringing in my head about occupational health and safety, plant security, oh, insurance, yeah, liability, indemnity. Yeah. Nobody had thought to mention this. There was this secret door at the end of the production plant that had apparently been some sort of just mutual agreement between both sides. And it turned out that Harrison's next door was the cousin of the original founder of the business. And that's how this arrangement had come about. And here I was in Dartford realising that 30% of the floor space that we'd acquired actually was, well, it was still ours. We'd bought it, but there was another company occupying it. Now, the thing is, I use that as the example because in a lot of cases, other people would have just gone into that business. They wouldn't have even questioned, well, where does that door go to? And they wouldn't necessarily have tuned into the fact that, hang on a minute, the building on the outside seems significantly bigger than the one on the inside. I I think, uh, Rob, often, and that's the reason why often you and I are called into organizations to do uh, this kind of work, because it really does take an outside-in type perspective. And you don't come with the baggage or the assumptions or the particular frame of mind, mental models, call it what you will. You're coming in totally outside. You're seeing things differently. Now, the way you're seeing it in that particular circumstances, you are looking at assets, asset utilization, asset efficiency, and um, looking at how they contribute towards the, the, the basic, the bottom line, the EBITDA figure. And yeah. so, and I don't think a lot of organizations don't, in an operational sense, actually think that way because they have this sort of institutionalized type of thinking. So, and I think that's what you're talking about. It's an example of that. And that's well, the reason why it is so important, particularly when it comes to MA, that you do get people from the outside helping you work on the inside. I'm just going to push that a bit further because I've got a bee in my bonnet about this. I've seen MA projects, playbooks, and they send in a, a team of people who then follow the bouncing ball. Mm. Well, 
you know, we all do that to a degree, any M&A project. It's the ability to put that sixth sense and that learned experience into play that makes the difference. Yeah. Right? Each, you have to learn it. Yeah. It, it's that says, hang on a second, why is that there? Or yeah. hold on a minute, I've just passed a process and you haven't been watching the process, but something in your sixth sense tells you that something's not right over there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. And it's those signals that you've got to tune into. Yeah. And coming back to where I started this is because those are the signals that Murphy's Law depends on. Sure. Because if you ignore them, it will go wrong. Yeah, 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 and, Absolutely. And, yeah anyway, I've, I've, I've got off my trolley on that one. But Okay, good. Excellent. And all that's left really is that we can finish up with three quotes from Les Heyman. Excellent. Would that be a good place to I would say so, yes. Well, now, I've chosen three today that are particularly about personal development. And again, as per all of Les's quotes, they're simple, mm. but they're very meaningful. So, number one, take your job seriously, but never yourself and never your own importance. I like that. It's very good. Yeah. Take, take your job seriously, but not necessarily yourself. And never your own importance. And your own importance, yeah. I think it's important, I think, to sort of take the bit of the ego out. Yep. Another one that's very relevant, and I'm sure if a lot of people listening, they should be practicing this, make appointments with yourself. At least one hour a day. Hmm. Yeah. You time. Yeah. And the last one, and th this one is close to my heart because Les and I actually put a program in place around this. Mm. Have a mentor or coach, no matter how senior you are. Yeah, that, that I do like, a mentor or coach. The funny thing about that one, uh, Rob, is that even if you are a mentor, you need a mentor. Don't think that if because I'm a mentor to other people, but that doesn't mean to say I don't need a mentor, you know. Les and I, this actually started out sharing a few beers at the mm. end of the day one night, talking about the topic of mentoring. Les was my mentor, and mm. I owe him a significant debt to, to what he did to help him grow mm. my career. We came up with this notion of what we call two plus two, and it was a very simple argument, and it said no matter – what level or what position you hold in a business, you should always have two mentors. You yourself should be mentoring two people. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so that was his last one was, irrespective of how senior you are, you should definitely always have a mentor. Very good. No, no, very mm. good. Interesting. There, there we go. Excellent. You want to wrap us up? Yeah, so... That was, I think, just to wrap up what we've just been speaking about, I think there was three major topics here. And I think it was talking about divestitures and the fact that Westpac and NetFed is intended to sell, you know, seven its yeah. businesses, which is a significant undertaking. And I think it's indicative of the fact that I think that we're going to see a lot more divestiture and M&A activity. It's happening now with yep. in Australia, but in other countries as well, United States and UK. So that's that's a major piece of news. And I think the other thing is with your experience with Robin, the sixth sense and just seeing things that other people don't see. 
which is that sixth sense type thing. It reminds me of the movie, by the way. And and I think Les Heyman's quotes, I think, are always relevant. Taking a job seriously, but not necessarily yourself, and making an appointment with yourself every day, and having a mentor. And I think that that's very relevant quotes. So I think all in all, that was a great chat, Rob, and uh, interesting to share these ideas and hope it's been interesting to others as well. And all it takes really is just to say um, goodbye for myself and uh, from yourself, Rob. And thank you very much. Uh, We'll be back next week and it's uh, bye for now.